Morning. How are you all doing? Anyone here ever felt out of place somewhere? And I mean really out of place somewhere? Oh, Dave, you're still out of place, mate. No, I'm kidding. Um, right, many, many years ago, I was called by my nephew who lived in Melbourne. I was a fairly new Christian. Uh, and he was, called me up and said, I was in Brisbane, and he said, Hey, Sam, my band's playing a gig. Uh, you should come along and see the band. And I said, oh, that sounds great. And he told me where they were playing. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so I probably should have been clued on when he said that his band's name was Destroyer 666. Um, and, and I didn't think anything about that at the time. And so myself and my brother and a couple mates, uh, we got ready to go out and see this band and we're wearing like blue jeans and white button-up shirts. Anyway, so we get to the pub and we get to the door and the chick at the door just looks at us really kind of weirdly and she is just head to toe in black, heavy makeup, very goth looking. I still didn't really trigger that something might be up. Uh, We went upstairs and literally... Every single person in the room was head to toe in black, wearing upside down crosses with black shirts, but written on them in white were a lot of expletives about Jesus. It was at that point that I kind of figured that maybe I was in somewhere that had different values about these things than I did. Um, Anyway, long story short, we stayed there for a little while, us group of four friends, And there's a whole bunch of people just staring at us uh, to watch my nephew play in this band. Anyway, when they had their break, he came down and spoke to us. And we said, what's going on? Why aren't we dead yet? And he chatted to a few people in the crowd. They came back and said, everyone thinks you're the bouncers. We were just like, sweet, leave it at that. This is good. Um, Anyway, you know, uh, talk about standing out. Um, We just... It was a crazy way. I remember a few years ago, myself and Beth were walking around the streets of San Diego in America, and we're just walking, not really knowing where we were going, and we passed by someone dressed as like Darth Vader, and we're like, a little weird, but that's probably how they roll in San Diego. Down the street a little bit more, there's Spider-Man, Super... We're going, what is going on? Next thing you know, there are like tens, 20, 30 people walking by families dressed as superheroes. We're just going, San Diego's a weird place. Anyway, it turns out that this thing called Comic-Con was on, uh, and like hundreds of thousands of people go, and Beth and I just happened to walk into the middle of this thing, uh, and there are just people everywhere just marching around in their like outfits. It was so funny. Um, all those different moments you come into in life where you can stand out like a sore thumb. But it's not always so obvious in how you're going to stand out, is it? Sometimes it's more you stand out because you hold different values. So in certain situations, maybe at work, somewhere like that, your values come out as different to those around you. And those values may not be appreciated by the people around you. Right? That's just the reality, though, of people living in groups, really. Even in this room, there is definitely differences among us, which makes some stand out more than others, right? That's just the reality of living like that. 
we can all clash at times. However, what if I could guarantee you that you could stand out at all times like you were dressed for Comic-Con? Not only that, what if I could guarantee you that not only could you stand out at all times, but I can guarantee you that you would be hated for it? Well, I can. It's called becoming a Christian. And that's what our passage tells us this week. So if you have your Bible, let's open up to John chapter 15 from verse 18. We're going to actually read the 16.4. So John 15.18 to 16.4. Now remember, if you're new to this church, we just get a book of the Bible and we preach every single verse. We don't skip a thing. And this is just what we're up to. So we're going to look at this passage together this morning. John 15, 18 to 16, 4. All right. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so the statement written in their law might be fulfilled, they hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one I send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you've been with me from the beginning. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. Amen. Going to put you in on a little secret. It's going to be fairly heavy this morning. Right? Well, that's just our passage. So that's just where we're at. Now remember our context. Jesus, all through 14 and 15, 16, is prepping the disciples for his departure. So he is telling them the most important truths that they need to know and cling to when Jesus physically leaves them. Not only is it a word for them, it's a word for us. What are the things that Christ thinks are central to following him as a disciple when he is no longer physically present with us? Right? These are the truths that we need to own in our hearts. So Jesus prepares them, this important truth that he wants them to hold to, he prepares them by straight up saying, if the world hates you, and the implication is that they 
will, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first, says Jesus. Why would they hate us? Well, Jesus answers that question, doesn't he? Because we are not of the world. Jesus chose us out of the world. He made us his children. He made us aliens and strangers in this world. We now belong to the other world. We now belong to the kingdom of heaven with Christ our King. We're chosen out of this world. So because we are not owned by this world, the world will hate us for it. Now let me give you a few quick reasons why the world hates Christians. And make no mistake, it does. If you didn't know, Christians are the most persecuted people on the planet. Every year, over 200,000 people are put to death for their faith around the world. The most persecuted people on the planet are Christians. You don't hear anyone talking about it. You don't hear governments acknowledging it. But that is a fact. Christians are put to death at a rate more than anyone else. Why? Why do people despise Christianity? Well, here's a few quick ones off the top of my head. Firstly, we have a different king. We follow Jesus as our Lord and King. He is our master, and to him alone we give our allegiance. Amen? Christ alone gets our allegiance. We just had an election. It's good to have a vote. It's good to have an opinion. But no party has our allegiance. Jesus has our allegiance. One king, one ruler, one Lord, and his name is Jesus. Right? That's who we are. And so we might vote on these things. We might have an opinion about these things. But we will acknowledge no other king than Christ. And this is what upsets governments all around the world. This is what upset them in Rome. The Christians were upright citizens. They obeyed the laws of the land. They worked hard. But they would not bend the knee and call Caesar king. And for that they were put to death. All around the world, Christians won't bend the knee. In China, in North Korea, and an increasingly hostile Australian government telling us to follow laws which clearly contradict the Word of God. And we won't, because we have one King. And this is what upsets governments all around the globe. We have one King and acknowledge no other. Second, we have a different rule book. If we live with Christ alone as our king, it puts us on a collision course with the requirements of earthly temporary leaders. Now, we rightly should obey most laws, but there are many which we simply cannot. Because if they contradict the word of God and we only have one king, then we must put Christ first. So, for instance, we believe all human life is sacred. Amen? 
people were made in the image of God and God declared that it is very good. So we believe all people are of inherent worth, dignity and value because they were made by the Creator in His image. We're not a cosmic accident. We were created by a loving, awesome, powerful God. Our country at the moment is obsessed with destroying that image of God. Through abortion, which is better called murder. Through euthanasia, which is better called murder. Through butchering people's bodies and pretending they can be a different gender. Our country is obsessed with destroying the image of God. It's a rejection of Him, a rejection of His Lordship, a rejection of His Word. And we, with Christ as our King and people of the book, cannot and will not bend our knee to it. Right? So it puts us on a collision course. Three, we are exclusive. Let me ask you, church, Genuine question. How many ways are there to get to heaven? One, that man Jesus Christ. We will not yield on this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through Him. We categorically, absolutely reject all other beliefs as of the devil and impossible to lead people to heaven. And we won't yield on this. Because we follow the king, we follow the word, and we acknowledge there's one way, Jesus. Now we'll say this. This doesn't mean we hate people of other beliefs. doesn't mean we want their harm. Actually, quite the opposite. It means we want to have the opportunity to love them and share the truth of Christ with them. But we won't reject, we won't bow the knee and say there's another way to heaven. There's only Jesus. Four, we call out the world's values and desires as being evil. And no one likes that. No one wants you to do that. But either by your refusal to participate in sin or by the fact that you call out sin, the world will hate it. This is Jesus back in John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Right? Why did the world hate Jesus? Because he testified to the world that their works were evil. And as we live under the kingship of Christ and according to his word, then we are going to do the same thing. We need to be prepared to speak out and stand against the horrors of abortion. We shouldn't be silent about Mardi Gras, transgender movements, etc. We should be prepared to say that the works of the world are evil. Christians have done this for years and years and years throughout the centuries. William Carey went to India where they practiced widow burning. When a rich wealthy man died, they would burn alive his nine wives. And William Carey stood against that and fought to stop it, which was popular among the common person, but really not popular among the powerful figures and authorities. He called out their works as evil, and we will do the same. 
because we follow Christ as King. Now, there are many, many things that we could look at. These are just a few. But I hope you get the point. We're not of the world. We live under a different king. We follow different rules. We don't live according to the world and its standards. And therefore, the world will reject us. To make his point even stronger, Jesus says in verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. He's taking us back to the whole foot washing idea. If they persecute Christ for obeying the Father and not the world, and you obey Jesus, then they will persecute you as well. Right? This is the Word of God. That's why I say this is the, the difficulty of preaching right through books of the Bible. We can't skip these things, right? I hope you guys would come up to me and go, hey, Sam, what happened to that passage that you just skipped? Uh, right? We, we work through it. This is the Word of God. Now, we've talked about this before in the Gospel of John. But we are meant to weigh up the cost. To think through that coming to Jesus, accepting his lordship, means daily taking up my cross to follow him. Right? This is what we're meant to do. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, but they wanted him dead for it. Jesus says that if you accept my will, they're going to want you dead, so you need to take up your cross when you follow me, dying to the world and its desires. My question, church, is have you ever? Have you ever taken the time to, to think through what being a Christian means? living for Jesus and following his word means. Because it means being despised. It means being ridiculed. It means not doing some things and it means doing things other people won't. So let me tell you this, especially you younger people in the church right now. Following the world is easy. Because 99% of this country follows the world. Following Jesus is hard. Only the strong, courageous, those who understand that the greatest love is to lay down your life for a friend, only those whose greatest treasure is Jesus can stay firm. Have you thought that through? Well, you should. Because that is exactly the reason Jesus is telling this to his disciples and to us. Here he is preparing them for what lies ahead, telling them so they won't be shocked when it's happening. Right? This is what he's telling them. Be ready. Be prepared. This is the cost of following me. This is what's going to happen to you. One of the things you notice, um, you know, I get to be up here a lot, so you just have to take the spearfishing analogies. It's just how it is. But one thing you notice a lot when you're spearfishing is if you're in a big, deep current, big, powerful fish always come against it. Only dead fish float with the current. 
right? That's just how it is. Big fish swim against the current, dead fish float with the current. This world, its desires and culture are people who are dead in their sins and going with the world's current. Only the strong fish swim against it. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to his followers. Know this, the world is going to want to pull you along. Young people, it's going to want to suck you along. Oh, it's so difficult for a young person to hang out with the cool crowd. No, it's not. It's easy. Strong fish swim against the current. And that's what it takes to follow Christ. You've got to be prepared to get outside of the current of the world. In verse 21, Jesus goes on to explain why we will be persecuted. And he says it very simply. They will do these things to you on account of my name. Right? For all the reasons we've just been talking about, for all the reasons that we just listed above, we live differently because of our Lord Jesus. We live differently because we declare Jesus our Lord. We declare him our God. We declare him our Savior. We declare him the truth. But the world does not accept these things, and so they declare him, him and his followers, as traitors to the world and its desires. And we are. We've turned away from those things. We won't live according to those things. And so they hate us in account of Christ's name. Jesus then moves on to explain why they are so reprehensibly guilty. Jesus had come. God in the flesh, by his words and actions, he had proved he was who he said he was. And the world had loved darkness rather than the light. Just think about this for a second. Who's familiar in the Bible with a good old friend, Jonah? You know, most people know about Jonah. He's pretty famous. Old Jonah is asked to go and preach the the good news that there is a chance for them to repent if they turn back to God and turn away from their evil. And Jonah, of course, jumps on a ship in the dead opposite direction. He is the most reluctant person of all time to go and share a message of repentance. And then we've got the whole incident of being thrown overboard. A whale eats him. Uh, He gets spat out. Eventually, this guy who is forced into going and telling these guys that they should repent what happens in Nineveh when, Nona, uh, when Jonah preaches? They repent. They actually hear the message and they go, oh, maybe we should stop sinning and turn to God. Then Jesus comes, who is God in the flesh, willingly leaves the side of God to come and take on human form where he lives a perfect life. And not only does he preach and teach the kingdom of heaven, he also backs it up through signs and wonders which show he's from God. How many people raise people from the dead? How many people cure the sight of people born blind? How many people feed people, 3,000 people from fishes and lives? It goes on and on and on. And what did the people do? They rejected him. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, he's just getting the point across. And why did they reject him? Because they loved the darkness more than coming into the light. 
They reject Christ because to accept Christ means you have to be pulled out of the darkness, have your deeds exposed as you begin to live under his lordship. Right? And people don't want to do that. So they want to live in the dark. Jesus says, if you follow me and you come into the light, Remember, there's plenty who love the darkness and hate the light. Right? This is his point. Then in verse 25, Jesus makes very plain what we talked about earlier. They hated him for no reason. Jesus did not incite rebellion. He did not break uh, Roman law. He lived a life teaching and healing people, as we said, but he would not bow to the authorities. And so they reject him because he will accept no other than God the Father. Then our passage hits this little interesting shift, which is an important verse. So this is 26 and 27 that we read out earlier. So he's been saying the same thing. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. They hate me, they'll hate you. And so we've had that. Then we get this little shift. This is 26 and 27. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. So what's this little shift? Well, Jesus has been outlining the confrontation with the world that is because of Jesus and following Jesus. But he gives us another angle here, which is just important for all of us to wrestle with. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, and he is the truth, just like Christ is the truth. There is no deceit in the Godhead. So the Spirit will indwell the Christian. The Spirit comes to live in the Christian, and he is the truth. And then, says Christ, we will testify. In other words, we will speak the truth. We will tell the truth of who Jesus is. We will tell people that they are sinful, that they need to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty of their sin. And unless they put their faith in Jesus, then they will go to hell. That is the message, the truth that the Spirit gives us. And we will testify to that truth. We'll tell the world they're inherently under judgment. And we will tell them the truth. And so we proclaim the message of Jesus to the world again and again and again, forcing people to decide between the darkness and the light. This is why these verses are here. They remind us that it's not only you following the Bible in your life and the Lordship of Christ in your life, but you are also called to proclaim the truth. And people won't want to hear it. Right? So it pivots to say, if you're a Christian, you're filled with the spirit of truth who will guide you into testifying to the truth and people will love the darkness. It's not enough for you to hide your faith. You have to speak your faith. It's not enough to know the truth. You have to proclaim the truth. Right? This is what our passage is telling us. Which leads us to these final four verses in John 16. 
I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I've told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. Right? This huge threat that comes against us. One part of this we really get in this country. We don't tend to get put to death for our faith here. We don't tend to have the issue here of if anyone kills you, they think they're offering service to God. That's not really our issue. What we have here in this country is they will ban you from the synagogues. In other words, you're going to be unpopular and kicked out of the popular public sphere. In this day and age, the synagogue was the center of Jewish life. Everything happened in and around and through the synagogue. And that's what he is saying. You'll be removed from this popular sphere of life that you're a part of. And people love their positions of power. People love their positions of influence. People love their positions of popularity. You know, I think this is why there are so many pathetic preachers leading pathetic churches nowadays. Because they want to keep their place in the synagogue. And by that, I mean they want to be well regarded by the world. They want the government to ask them to open meetings in prayer. They want newspapers to ask them for their opinions on something. And so they avoid the truth of God's word. So they can maintain their place in the synagogue. Christ says, I've told you this stuff ahead of time so that you're ready to have that all taken away from you. Because we don't live for those things. Right here, Jesus is telling us, I told you you will be unpopular. I told you you will suffer. I've told you they will take away your seat in society so that when it happens, you will know this is from God. And it's simply living out the life we were called to. The gospel is an offense. The full teachings of Christ are an offense. And we who are people of the truth cannot back down from declaring it. So I finish with this challenge. You should accept right now that being a Christian comes with promises of hatred, persecution and suffering that you must forsake the world to have Jesus, right? Accept it. Jesus said, I've told you ahead of time, so it won't be a shock. However, my little, little caveat. So therefore, is it our goal to go out and offend everybody? To go out and make sure that hatred reigns, Right? No. Our goal is to frustrate, confuse, and annoy everybody. (laughs) Let me explain what I mean by that. Throughout the Scriptures, are we not called to be generous, forgiving, loving, kind, dependable, people that should 
have everyone wanting to be their friend because we don't gossip, we don't slander. We're gracious, right? Is that true? Yes, that's how we're meant to live in the world. Be good to everyone, says the Scripture. We are called to shine like a light in a crooked and depraved generation. We are meant to get out there and be the kind of neighbors that everyone wishes they had. Amen? That's who we want to be in this community. But at the same time, you want the people who know you to be going, oh, they annoy me. They're so dependable and good and they're a great friend. They don't speak behind my back. They're trustworthy. But I wish they'd shut up about the Jesus thing. Right? This is the tension you're going to create with people. They're an awesome person. I've got nothing I can ping on them if they just sort out that faith rubbish and put that to the side. And you're like, no, I won't. And then they're stuck going, they're good, but I really hate that about them. Right? Be that person. Create that tension. I think that's what the Scripture is telling us. You be such a good person in, at work and with your neighbors and stuff, they can't help but acknowledge that you are a, there's something different about you. You're a wonderful person. At the same time, they're like, just shut up about Jesus. And you're like, no, I won't. Create that tension. Right? Be that confusing person we talked about. Create that tension in everyone you meet. Let them see both grace and truth. Grace declares the love of God and truth that won't yield from his word. That is how we are to minister in our community. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. Because Jesus, you never lied to us. You are the truth. And you told us that it will be tough. You called us out of the world and we don't follow the world and its desires. We follow you. Lord, there are times that just puts us in conflict with the world. And you told us it would be so. And you promised you would be with us to the end of the age. So we thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray you give us courage and conviction to stand on your truth. Lord, to live by it, but also to testify to it. Lord, there is one hope hope of salvation, and his name is Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be loving, kind, generous, forgiving, gracious people in Bundaberg, and at the same time unyielding in our commitment to the biblical truth. Lord, we ask this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen.